Our first story begins with a poignant story about Jubilee and Angelo. Jubilee, in the midst of moving from the X-Mansion to the new Generation X school, visits the mall with her new friends and later delivers a harsh but truthful goodbye to Archangel, all while Beast provides insight to Angelo that helps him make a final decision. Elsewhere, Jean pushes Psylocke to her telepathic breaking point. Gambit finally confronts Sabretooth, leading to a chance for the Cajun to kill Creed. The second story picks up the theme of vengeance as Mystique looks to enact revenge for the murder of her lover Destiny. In order to do so, she's faked her own death and is on a quest to murder Legion. What she doesn't expect is interference from X-Factor. Does she succeed in her mission? Moving on to the third story, it involves Iceman returning to visit his parents with Rogue. In many heartfelt and tender conversations, Rogue helps Iceman realize that his father is an abusive bigot. Meanwhile, Archangel heeds the advice of the young Jubilee and attempts to move things forward with Psylocke. More importantly, Xavier has another mental conversation with Magneto that could have grave ramifications. And lastly, Cyclops and Jean head to Alaska to search for his missing grandfather, only to find out that he went out for one last flight and was saved by the mysterious Adam X. This is Marvel Mythos. Hey, hey, namaste, my fellow Marvelous Nerds. We are the Marvel Mythos Show. This is X-Men Promised Vengeance. We're going to be talking X-Men 38 through 39, Uncanny X-Men 318 to 319, X-Factor 108 to 109. I am your host, Brian Barley. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Marvel underscore Mythos. And today I'm joined by the wonderful Liz Sparks. Hello. So, Liz, what is your new handle on Twitter and Instagram? I mean, my personal handle is the same. It's still Sparky Boy fan, but I have a new podcast yeah, coming the out. One? The more important one. I have a new podcast coming out called Scooby Doo and Sister Two, which you can find that show on Twitter and Instagram at Scooby Sisters. And what is the show about besides Scooby Doo? So our tagline is. It's two sisters with nothing in common bonding over their love for Scooby Doo. So. Just me and my sis bonding over our love for Scooby-Doo. And I can vouch for this. You two seriously have nothing in common and um, <laughs> outside of Scooby-Doo. And your sisters, like it's for real. They are sisters. I know them, known them since they were little. Um, but yes, they, they literally have nothing in common. Yeah, it's, it, it, but okay. it's leading to some interesting recordings. But yes, on to this recording. So we're, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Uh, when this airs, the show will have gone live. So... Um, we will be able to have listened to it by the time this one airs, but as of right now, I'm looking forward to hear it on Friday. Hopefully I get to listen to it on my drive to Florida. Um, so since you said it was clean, I can probably play it in the car with the kids. So that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, so far we are going to do this one a little oddly because some of this goes together. Some of it doesn't, some of it intertwines and it's just, it's just a weird, um, group of comics, but they all felt like they needed to be covered during this stretch. So um, we're going to be talking Uncanny X-Men 318 and X-Men 38 first. Then we're going to switch into X-Factor 108 through 109. Then we're going to come back to Uncanny X-Men 319 and X-Men 39, which will set up the the next big X-Men arc that's coming. So Uncanny X-Men 318, uh, this one, like the, the crux of the issue is uh, the fallout or the prologue of the Phalanx Covenant, which... Um, Liz, you were not on for that one, but basically 
there Stephen Lang was a, a longtime X-Men um, foe. He was a human that hated mutants like most uh, humans in Marvel Comics for some reason. And he worked with the Sentinels and eventually he was thought dead. But really what he ended up doing was um, being in prison, I think, or something along those lines. And then there was this entity called this mutant called Doug Locke, who was a mixture of Doug Ramsey, a mutant and uh, Warlock, who was a, an extraterrestrial being part of what's known as the Phalanx or similar makeup as the Phalanx. And they use some of his organic materials to create their own group of phalanx and it starts to spread and it spreads and it spreads and they attack uh, the X-Men and they try to take over and they try to build this, build this big spire that stretches up to, to summon the other phalanx and they fail. But in the midst of this, there's a new generation of X-Men, the young mutants, uh, so to speak, that are kidnapped by the phalanx. Uh, Jubilee is one of them, and she's with some of the ones that you see inside of this issue, like Paige Guthrie and, um, uh, what's his name, um, Espinoza and uh, some of the other ones, Angelo Espinoza and some of the other Sink, those ones. And so this is dealing with what's going to happen after those young mutants have been exposed and sought out and abducted. And Banshee was a big part of saving them, so was Emma Frost. So they are uniting to... Uh, basically train the new generation or the generation next or generation X is what the the line ends up being called. So this is Jubilee leaving the X-Men to go join this generation X thing. So that's a little bit of background you might have missed. Not sure, but that might hopefully kind of fill in some of the blanks with this one that you may have had. Yeah, that, that, that makes it make so much more sense the whole time reading this. I was like, I have no <laughs> clue who any of these kids are, except for Jubilee, obviously. Yeah, if I would have been a really good host, I would have been like, hey, Liz, go read this first, then come back and do this. Um, but instead, I was like, hey, Liz, I just made some arrangements and I'm going to Florida, so we need to do this now. So read these comments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you already gave me six it. issues to so read, so... <laughs> you didn't want to do ten? I mean... The last, the last episode, the Phalanx Covenant was nine issues, and five of them were double sized. So you could have been on that one. No, this was this was <laughs> enough. <laughs> so uh, this one, uh, this one, I think, can be summed up in uh, new beginnings coming from endings. So we've got Jubilee, who, in what I felt like, was a very clear um, picture of what it's like to go off to college. She's got these friends. That when she's around them, she's experiencing nothing but excitement and kind of, you know, looking to the future and trying to play it cool. But when she's at home packing up and getting ready to leave, and then when she runs into Archangel, it hits her and she's extremely sad about it, like it's the end of an era. Uh, was that, uh, and then with um, Angelo Espinoza, he's the, he kind of represents the kid who feels like an outcast, uh, doesn't belong in college, so to speak. But Beast reaches out to him and he's able to pull him in and, and get him to, to go on. And then you've got Banshee, who actually kind of felt like the teacher moving into a new school with more responsibilities, maybe, where he had this nervous nervous excitement about the kids. Uh, did you find yourself relating to any of them throughout this? Um, Not really. I mean, I, I totally get the theme that you're talking about with it being a going off to school type thing. I don't think I picked up that immediately until you just said that because the whole time I was trying to figure out what was happening and who these people were um but yeah no I mean I was never really a mall rat or anything which is what most of this felt like at the beginning 
Um, I did really love the scenes with Beast, though, talking to what, what Espinosa, right? Is that what you said the kid's name was? Uh, yeah, Angelo Espinosa. Yeah. Um, anytime that I can get Beast in my comics, I am happy with that. So that's probably the parts that I liked most in this issue. Okay. Yeah. What what I found was like a weird ability to relate to both Jubilee and Angelo here, uh, in the sense that um, with Angelo, you know, I mean, you knew me from way back. I kind of wasn't really the popular kids. I was more, I guess, um, what I what I interpreted as the the kind of outcast thing. Even though I think in hindsight it probably wasn't. That's how I interpreted it, um, where we went to school. And so I kind of related to him in that sense where it was like, I just don't feel like I belong necessarily. But with Jubilee, I found it very relatable how she had this excitement uh, mixed with this sadness. And I know when I went off to college, uh, I I've felt a similar vibe, even though I wasn't a mall rat like Jubilee, I at least felt that vibe um, to the point that what I actually did was uh, for everyone that I was close to. So uh, grandparents, parents, brother, um, and then some of my friends, I actually wrote like a letter like, hey, yo, I'm leaving. Here's what, you know, I've found uh, that I'm going to cherish about our friendship or our time together. This isn't the end, whatever, and gave that to them. Um, and I had actually kind of forgotten about that until recently. And then reading this made me think of it even more. But so for me, that's where I kind of gravitated in this. It was less so in like Beast's humor, which is amazing. And he actually sings the Rolling Stones, which I love the Rolling <laughs> Stones. Um, of course. But uh, that's that's the part of this that really really spoke to me. Yeah. Uh, so tell me more about this beast conversation that you loved. Well, first, I just need to point out that you writing notes to people before you go off to college is absolutely adorable. I don't think I was nearly that thoughtful as I was going <laughs> off to college. Um, granted, I did still live with my parents for three of those four years, and for the one year that I did go away, it was more like a oh, thank God I'm free. So <laughs> I don't think I had quite all the same feelings um, <laughs> that you and Jubilee were having. Uh, but yeah, no, I just love Beast. He's always so funny and kind. And yeah, he's just... I, he never was one that like stuck out to me in like the cartoons or anything like that. But in the little bit that I've read on this podcast of him, I just love him more and more the more I read him. I kind of want you to go back and read some of the older stuff that we covered for this because Beast has some even more amazing lines and moments. Um, like when he kind of makes fun of uh, Graydon Creed on live national TV and it's just, it's fantastic stuff. So uh, oh. yeah, I, I kind of want to be like, yo Liz, go read all this old stuff. But yes, the way that Beast handles that is um, I think great. Although, a little bit dangerous there with the spin out in the car, but um, outside of that, I, I was really into what he was doing there um, with uh, Angelo. And even like, what doesn't he give the car to him? So he's like, yeah, hey, make the decision. Like that. That's a Which little generous, bold. there, Beast. I, I mean, I know you all live in a mansion <laughs> or whatever, but <laughs> you're giving some <laughs> angsty teen your car that looks like a pretty nice car. So, but I guess it all worked out, man. Yeah, very nice car, and here's Beast just handing it over to this young kid who's struggling with the fact that he's a mutant who doesn't fit in and doesn't look like he will ever fit in. And I think 
So um, during Grant Morrison's run later on, this occurs more. But what's nice is how um, they are. They've created this character that doesn't necessarily look human. Like most of the mutants, let's be real. Most of them have a human-like look to them outside of like Nightcrawler and Beast um, for them to fit in. For Angelo, it is not easy at all. Um, So uh, in in Morrison's run, they definitely go further into that type of thing. Mutants not looking human at all. Um, And then there was, I felt like another important conversation that happens in this with Archangel and Jubilee Um, so Jubilee is sad about leaving and Archangel shows up and he's like, Hey, good luck. If you ever need anything. And she's like, shut up, man. Like you haven't talked to me in forever and now you're going to act like this. Um, but what's great about it is she makes the point to him, um, that, uh, basically she never, uh, said things out loud to her parents, never told them how she really felt. Now they're dead and she can't. And that she doesn't want Archangel to do the same thing. So if he's... Uh, uh, letting somebody know that you love them isn't a bad thing. And then he kind of like seems to accept that. And then to know where this leads to kind of in the next issue, that uh, was a pivotal moment that Archangel's um, decision-making was changed by little old Jubilee. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that it was sort of a random scene to begin with, but once you piece it in with stuff that we see with uh, Archangel later on, yeah, definitely makes much more sense. Uh, Have they... Were they close at any point, or was this really just a random setup for Warren to like hook up with Psylocke officially? So I think it was just the random setup um, because I don't know. Like I think to Jubilee's point, like Archangel doesn't really have anything to do with her, uh, as far as I can remember in anything that I've read. They're kind of off on separate missions, separate teams. A lot of times they don't really show them interacting, and a lot of times because of what has happened to Warren uh, being the, you know, the horseman of death, he doesn't really um, relate as easily to people. He doesn't, you know, overly communicate or try to necessarily be friendly with a lot of people outside of the original five X-Men or the other four. Um, and obviously Betsy now, uh, who he's clearly into. Um, what, what, wait, 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 wait. Warren, like, actually is the Archangel? I thought that was just, like, a fun name because he has wings. But you're saying he's, like, so actually. Apocalypse. The- he's not, he's not like the angel, the Archangel of Death from the Bible. Uh, Apocalypse yeah. <laughs> is a villain uh, that originated in X Factor. So at one point, X Factor, when it launched, it was the original five X Men um, reuniting and being a team. And eventually Apocalypse was introduced and he's had a lot of different things about him. You've, you read some stuff of him recently, but what he does is he seems to always want or have uh, what he calls his four horsemen and he Mm. takes a mutant and he alters them, makes them even more beefed up than they already were. And then has something to do with each in the original um, instances they had more to do with what they were represented of. So like the famine, pestilence, war, and death. Um, so the mutants that he would use, you know, would have some type of ability to create famine or pestilence. Uh, and then an archangel sense, he went from having angelic wings to having these metal blade wings that can basically kill you at any moment. 
if he really wants them to. Gotcha. Um, and it like messes with their heads. So they go from being normal to being like this obsessed, focused in on doing everything that Apocalypse asks and like giving into the cause. And they were able to get through to Warren and kind of break him from that, but he still deals with some of that ramification uh, throughout, uh, even to to this day in Marvel Comics. So, Gotcha. Interesting. I yeah. didn't realize he started out as like a villain or whatever. Yeah, he went from being like the playboy funny guy, well not really the funny guy, the playboy guy that... Uh, on the X-Men team originally when he just was, you know, had his white skin and his, uh, his angelic wings. And then he actually had his wings ripped off, um, during a a different run. Yeah, it was rough. Uh, so he had those ripped off and then apocalypse took him in, gave him new wings and turned him into the, the archangel of death. Hmm. Interesting. Um, outside of that, not much more in this. There's a couple of little, uh, fun interactions between people like uh, Gambit and Cyclops had a, a fun little interaction where Gambit's like, hey, you know, it must be nice not to be ashamed of anything in your past. <laughs> um, but I kind of feel like Cyclops has a lot to be ashamed of because he went from being married to Madeline Pryor and having a kid to basically abandoning her the moment he found out Jean Grey was alive. Gambit and Cyclops have a lot more in common than I think people usually tie together. <laughs> yeah, say more, because I want Travis to hear this. You want Travis to hear? I mean, this is going off of stuff that I've listened to episodes of our show about the X-Men that I was not on, so just kind of piecing together some of the, you know, you all talked about him having the hots for Psylocke for a while, and how that was kind of weird, and... <laughs> He's, you yep. know, yeah, he, C- Cable is the offspring of, like, essentially a gene clone and how that's kind of weird. And it's, I don't know. Cyclops is sort of like the gambit that maybe has a stick up the bum. I, <laughs> that's that's kind of <laughs> how he comes off. Okay. I like that. So we'll go with that. Uh, I hope Travis agrees with that because it seems fairly accurate, uh, especially mm-hmm. from this era of, of the comics. Uh, so, then uh, let's shift gears a little bit to the wait. the what I called what's that? Wait, wait, wait. There's there's one more thing we need to point out in this issue, and that is yes, go for what it. what is Jubilee wearing at the mall? <laughs> I am so confused. Um, <laughs> from the looks of it, she is wearing a pair of biker shorts, but then is also wearing a pair of like denim booty shorts over top of that. And I, I don't understand, was that a fashion back then? Am I looking at this wrong? I need answers. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know offhand, as I was not a teenage girl in the early 90s to be able to answer that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, but you, like, yeah, dated teenage girls in the early 90s. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I was not even a teen then. For, I oh. know I'm old, but I wasn't that Maybe old. Maybe you're not as old as yeah. I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I am. I think you're just misplacing the eras. Uh, I see. No, but yeah, there was some bold fashion choices by some of the X-Men throughout this, uh, which is kind of reminiscent of the football game and the Thanksgiving issue uh, that you were on a while back. Yeah. It's a good and issue. Then, uh, so yeah, in, in uh, 38, X-Men 38, it's like this smorgasbord of randomness. I think 
the as far as the story goes, progressing everything forward, it felt like the most important thing is that Beast discovers that the legacy virus is kind of evolving. So it's now in its like third stage since it's been introduced in their timeline, and now Beast sees where it could actually start to infect humans, which is a new thing. It's not there yet, but it seems to be moving in that in that way. And um, and then there's just like a whole lot of random stuff with like Rogue and Iceman and and some of the other ones. Were there any standouts for you on this one? Well, not so much in this one, but I guess this is the beginning of when Iceman and Rogue start interacting, which felt kind of weird in this one, especially with him just kind of like harassing her in the pool or whatever. Um, but where this leads to in upcoming issues, I really liked the story arc that they build with these two. Yeah, this one felt like that. It almost had like a brother sister vibe to it, the way he was messing with her. Yeah. Uh, so I actually remember this one. This is one of the like the. There are some things that I remember from when I was a kid and reading these. This is one of them. I always remember the shot of like Rogue going up there and then d- uh, diving into the pool and Iceman freezing it and then her coming out of it so angry, ready to murder him. Um, she looks like some kind of ice just... demon coming out of that water. <laughs> like she was, she was drawn real she, creepy. She she looked pretty evil, and that's probably why I remember it. Probably mentally scarred me, and that's why I can't <laughs> shake the the memory of it. But yeah, she looks frightening. If I was him, I would be petrified. But she makes the choice not to even do anything, but just leave, which was weird. Uh, yeah, I was shocked. I was waiting for her to, you know. I mean, she's like one of the most powerful of them so <laughs> i thought she'd do something yeah so i guess uh, i guess in some ways the theme in this one is uh not taking advantage of the vengeance that you want so i know i'm stretching mm-hmm. here but hear me out <laughs> uh, so rogue here gets this this prank done to her and her initial reaction is she wants to murder bobby but she chooses not to and then we also get Jean and Psylocke having a little bit of a mental tussle and Psylocke's talking to her about her stint as, you know, um, when her mind was messed up with Quanon being kind of in control and everything and then, uh, you know, confessing, but, you know, Scott's attractive and then Jean could have just basically straight murdered her right then, but then they seem to kind of let it go and then on top of that, you have... The scenes that I remember most from this, which were Gambit and Sabretooth, where Gambit um, unleashes the danger room on Sabretooth and then follows it up with whooping up on him himself, uh, where he's holding down Sabretooth with his staff uh, pointy end on top of his skull, saying, like, I can ram this through your skull right now and end it. And he chooses not to. So there we go. That's how I'm going to frame that this is about not taking advantage of vengeance. Okay, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um, yeah, the entire conversation with Psylocke and Jean was real awkward. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it ended so jovially. I think they even, like, laughed at Scott's expense at one point, which is, uh, I don't, I don't know if that's really how all that would go down, but, you know, maybe Jean's just a, a forgiving person. That. Yeah, and, and Scott <laughs> had that moment where he's, like, he's got his arm propped up in the door frame, you know, like, holding himself there, yeah. and his, like, legs are kind of crossed at his ankles, and he's, like... Hey, 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 girls! Can I mean, uh, mm, ladies? Mm, uh, can I can I use the danger room if you're done? So he's got this whole awkward thing, like, oh, hey, it's my wife, and it's this chick that was trying to hook up with me, and she knows I think she's hot, so that's awkward. 
And then like, they're just kind of like, you're, you're full Cyclops. It's fine. We're good. Yeah. Um, Which I mean, women bond over nothing as strongly as a fool that they've both fallen for. So, I mean, maybe in that sense, (laughs) it makes sense. (laughs) I I don't really know. I can't think of any, uh, one that, um, that I ever dated or was interested in or was interested in me that Tiff is friends with, but maybe maybe she is and she doesn't even know it. Yeah, that's not usually something that you tell the fool. But first, speaking of uh, Scott in the danger room, so he's going in there to like essentially give Sabretooth some time to run around or whatever, right? That's what they're in there for. Yeah, he's kind of like chaperoning Sabretooth using it. Yep. Yeah, okay. Scott shouldn't be the one doing this. It should be Gene the one guarding Sabretooth because, I mean, we've seen in previous episodes or in previous issues that she's the one who has the best handle over Sabretooth. Not Scott. Okay, fair fair point. But they probably have a rotation so that she doesn't feel like she's always the one doing it. Or maybe Scott's like, I'm, I'm the man now. I'm married to you, so you can't go putting yourself in jeopardy. Um uh, no, I mean, I yeah, I <laughs> hopefully not that one, <laughs> but because to be, yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah, um, and be. I thought I thought it was funny that it's taken Gambit this long to try to kill Sabretooth <laughs> because it's been yeah, like, how many been issues? For, man? Yeah, <laughs> he's been trying to turn everyone against Gambit for several several issues now i'm sure this had to span over several months and just now he's uh he's trying to kill him but i did love Sabretooth's design in this he looks like a mad max character or something with uh all of the metal they have put over his claws and then he's got like that metal muzzle thing he's got on so he can't kill anyone but uh yeah yeah. Uh, it's such a good design and uh it's it's a great design and it's funny that he has to have a muzzle over his mouth because you know he's that dangerous with just his mouth um but yeah i i think so this is cubert and it's just i i'm a big fan of cubert i've praised him a lot especially this one because i vividly remember that scene or that shot of gambit holding Sabretooth down like that's one of my favorite scenes from the old 90s x-men comics um just the way that it's shown and depicted and it's basically the full page or it's basically half of the page. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's so good. Yeah, no, the art's great. Okay. Although one thing did bother me after that fight, Gambit is walking out of the angel room and his boots untied. Why is his boot untied? He could have tripped and <laughs> yeah, he could have tripped. Sabretooth could have gotten the advantage. It all would have went downhill from there. So he was just, he was oh, just one God. misstep from death. <laughs> Got to tie your shoes, guys. Rookie mistake. I know, right? I mean, that's important, guys. If you're gonna go attack Sabretooth, you gotta have tied shoes. Like, I mean, that's just you know, Danger Room 101 stuff. Cyclops would never go around with untied shoes. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) No, he uh, he brings his uniform on his honeymoon, as we've seen, (laughs) and some random one that we've never seen and never see again. Thank God we never see it again. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything um, else on this one? Yeah, there's another through line that is refer- referencing something from a previous issue I haven't read. Apparently, there was some sort of explosion that ruined like all of Xavier's files or something. Like all of his life work has uh, essentially been destroyed, which just makes me yeah, so sick so, to my stomach. 
So, okay, yeah, that's kind of an important thing to mention. During the Phalanx Covenant, um, during that whole, you know, nine issues, five of which are double-sized, um, that whole thing, a lot happens, sort of-ish. Most of it's just filler. But uh, there's a scene where the Phalanx, so they're technological. They're not, they are not biological. So they're mechanical-ish, and they have... Um, taken over the Muir Island research facility and they've taken over the mansion. And so they like destroy everything in the mansion, I think. And then there's still Xavier's research that's hanging out at Muir Island with Moira McTaggart, but the phalanx infest there and Cyclops and uh, Gene and Wolverine and Cable go in to try and get some information from it because what they're wanting to do is track down the X-Men that have been kidnapped and so they infiltrate this location and they don't want the phalanx to get it, but they need to get some stuff from it. So they get what they need and then they it self-destructs after that. Like they trip a, a self-destruct sequence when they get the information they want and then the entire facility blows up. So all of the information that Xavier had is gone because back then there wasn't a cloud. Yikes. Right. That's so, sickening. So SOL. Yeah, which is something that he but then yes. deals with for, you know, the following issues that continues to be a line through all of these that I, I liked that they explored. Yeah. And, and I guess it's kind of important here because we did talk a little bit about how um, endings creating new beginnings and Xavier has now gone from a school for gifted youngsters, meaning uh, the young generation to now the Xavier Institute for higher learning meant more for the adults, those who have graduated from the school, and then Generation X becomes that new school for gifted youngsters. Yeah. And so. speaking of new beginnings, yeah. they mention the beginning of a rogue mini series that's about to start after this, which is very exciting. I, uh, even if I'm not on that episode, I will probably read that, and hopefully it's better than the Gambit mini series. <laughs> Uh, I don't really remember it being better than the Gambit miniseries. Oh, no. Shh, shh, don't tell was, me this, Brian. <laughs> but <laughs> Let I was me also have hope. like 10 or 11 when it came out. So I can't really, um, can't really, you know, say for sure, but I was pretty young when that came out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but right, probably te- Teenage Brian probably liked the Gambit series. So, I mean, we can't really judge it based on that. I mean, there's a lot of people who like that Gambit miniseries, you know. <laughs> so I've um, heard. <laughs> I remember I remember liking parts of it, but at the same time, like, I don't know that I should have. So, yeah, <laughs> I see your point. Maybe the, maybe the Rogue one is like gold. Maybe. Here's hoping. Maybe. Uh, but before so, we get to the next so, one, also, this is introduced, or, God, uh, also, this introduces Legion into the story, at least for the issues that we read, which was exciting at first because I absolutely love the TV show. Um, but this is a very different Legion than what they portray on the television series. So I got excited in this issue and then it kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> I think um, I think later stuff Legion gets more into what you're used to. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's completely disassociated from like comic book legion i think this is just relatively early on legion so you know some of that stuff hasn't been established yet and you don't really get a chance to see the multiple personalities but yeah like what you're talking about we get a 
Um, it's kind of the setup here. We get Destiny, who was close to Mystique. Um, and it's like, I don't remember, was it a memory that Legion had? Or were they kind of like conversing in his mind that he was remembering? Something along those lines. I think they're um, in his head, yeah. Yeah, and so Destiny's like making some point about, you know, dreams... Um, could still be fulfilled if like random, you know, if you were to do certain things, you could fulfill the dreams of your father more or less. And then he kind of is like, Ooh, okay. But what we find out is that he's actually still in a coma and he's just, you know, this is his mind and it's, it's crazy mind. And then in X factor 108 and 109, it picks up from that sort of, and mystique is on a quest for vengeance. So she, um, she was really close to Destiny. They lived together. They were together, even though back then you couldn't be explicit in saying it, or I guess you could have, but they chose not to. And Destiny was killed by Legion. Um, based, I think it was by, I don't remember how, but he killed Destiny and Forge, I guess, made some decision that led to it. And so she now blames Forge and she wants to kill Legion. So she fakes her death. And then she goes all the way across the world, more or less, to find Legion and try and kill him while he's in a coma. And X-Factor gets wind of it, and they track her down. And X-Factor, I'm sorry, I like X-Factor, but they are a bunch of freaking fools in this two-issue series. Yeah, I've in the short bit of X-Men that I've read, I've come to love them. X-Factor, this just did not do it for me. I literally have one note on this first issue because I just did not get into any of this. (laughs) I mean... I tried to. I fell asleep during part of it um, (laughs) and then had to go back to it. And then as I was prepping for this again tonight, I tend to go back through. I don't fully read them again, but I'll go back through. And I went back through and I'm like, wait, that happened? Yeah. That happened? Did I fall asleep during this? And then I got to the end. I'm like, no, I didn't fall asleep because I remember the end. But what the crap? (laughs) So it's two issues of literally it's like two issues of mystique outsmarting x-factor and them looking like idiots i mean there's a scene where they go to legion's mom to be like hey we got we got word that this mutant is coming to kill your son who's in a coma and we're here to help you because you can't do it on you know you can't protect him on your own and she's like nah this is the hotel uh, hospital security be fine and then like things happen and she's like no i'll take your services whatever but then, like, there's some alarm or something that trips or Wolfsbane gets a scent or something and, like, they take off and, like, no one's left with the mom. And I don't even know where the mom goes, but Mystique shapeshifts into the mom and then just walks into the room. Like, yeah. what? And, like, immediately why, fools Why are you not stationed forge? right there? Like, for real. And then, so, uh, Legion wakes up. And he's like, ha, 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 I'm awake, you know, <laughs> and then he tries to, I guess, talk to Mystique and he's, I don't remember. It's something along the lines of, like, he tries to talk to Mystique, like, hey, Destiny, tell me you were going to come, but it's cool because I'm doing something for her and she wanted to die because she didn't like you anymore. It's not really what he says, but, you know, maybe she interprets it that way. Uh, I didn't interpret that way. Me. That's way harsher than I <laughs> remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not how it was, but I mean... That would explain why Mystique gets so mad at him, you know, no. Um, But, uh, and then she escapes. Like, they're literally all there. Legion's there. She's there in a hospital room, and somehow she escapes. Like, what the heck? Like, there's like seven of you. It's X-Factor. It's Strong Guy, Havoc, Wolfsbane. I think Cannonball was there. Forge was there. Like, 
Really? You can't stop one shapeshifter? It's not even like she gets the mutant powers of the people she shapeshifts into. She literally just changes form. Like, Yeah, they, they're they not good. <laughs> I, went on a, I went on a rant, okay? I'm, I, in trying to come up with themes and things for this to discuss, uh, I also had one note, which mm-hmm. is terrible. Um, What's up? But it was one note, you know... I, and actually, really, it was a note about the previous issue where Destiny tells him <laughs> about the dream thing. <laughs> nice, nice. Like, okay, so, uh, hold on. Let me try and come up with some angle here. Okay. I don't think this is how autism works. No. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting David- I keep forgetting that it's autism, because I don't think it's autism in the TV show. I think it's just schizophrenia. So... This whole time, I keep forgetting that they they call him autistic. Yeah, maybe maybe back then, autistic was a more broad, uh, a broader term. I know it's changed in its forms and definitions over the years. So maybe back then it was more all encompassing, and now it's kind of zeroed in. That's the only thing I can think of that explains it, but it does not fit with the current understanding of autism, and maybe that's why it's kind of changed a little bit in the comics but he has like three personalities that i don't feel like we got to see any of them and maybe that was the intent so he's got a personality named cindy who's a pyrokinetic jamail who's a telepath and jack wayne who's a telekinetic but what was interesting i guess for me was at the end when he is awake and his mom is with him he actually calls her mother and that appeals to her she's like oh you know like None of the other personalities do that, so this means David is in control, and we're almost given the vibe like he has come into control over this multiple personality um, disorder that he has. But yeah, that's for me the most interesting part of this, and that that was stretching. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that's what they're trying to get across. There there was even a scene I kind of liked it where it was like gravestones for each of the multiple personalities. That I think was really supposed to drive home that, oh, yeah, he's, you know, one whole mind now. But he still yeah. seems just absolutely crazy. Like, I know in our uh, Cyclops and Phoenix episode or whatever that was called, I said that Strife is like that kid from Twilight Zone who sends everybody to the cornfield. But this is Legion is 100% more uh, that kid. <laughs> <laughs> So you have decided that Legion is crazier than Strife, which I think is accurate. Yeah. Strife is close, though. Strife is close. Yeah, Strife is seems uh, more hateful. Legion just seems, like, chaotic. Yeah, he's very chaotic and almost childish in a way that he, he just kind of hasn't grown up in some ways because he's not able to. And Strife is the same way in that he's childish in some ways, but it's more... Um, yeah, hateful than than Legion, and then but but also in Legion's defense, he actually has a mental disorder that helps drive some of that. Whereas Strife is just straight up bad crap crazy. Yeah, no, that's that's not true. How old is Legion in this? I wasn't sure if he was a teenager, or like a child. I feel like he has to be a teenager. So they mentioned that he was ten when his powers kicked in, uh-huh. and he looks much older than ten, but not not too much. I would imagine that he's a uh, mid to late teenager here, uh, especially based on what Xavier's age probably is. Gotcha, gotcha. That hair. Ugh, that hair. <laughs> I mean, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, Justin Bieber needs to play Legion. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Yeah, I I can see that a little bit. Uh. Yep, yep. Now I've got it. Like I, I like the guy that plays him on the show, but yeah, this the Bieber was a missed opportunity there. Yeah, I th- I MCU, think the guy MCU. Yeah, MCU, get on it. Uh, I think the guy who plays him on the TV show does, in, at least in the face, obviously not the hair, because that would have been a terrible mistake to put on television, uh, but in the face, I do think he looks uh, quite a bit like the kid in this comic. So that was he good does. casting, at least. They did, they did good. And uh, he's got the acting chops to be able to handle it. So Exactly. Okay, so... Uh, so we actually talked a little bit more about that than I planned on us um, doing right. based on the notes I had and the notes you had. Well, I um, still have two more. you're not going to have anything else. I had one for 108 and we haven't even gotten to it. Oh, we talked 108. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't talk about we Nick Fury. Kinda, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we talked in in we talked about the main storyline from 108 to 109. Yes, I left Nick Fury out of the description. He's kind of the one that tips off X-Factor on... Um, Mystique being alive and on their on her way to kill uh, um, Legion. Yes, but what, he's what part say of the you best about par- Mr. Fury. He has the best like. Well, he doesn't say the line, but the boxes around him are the best part of these two issues. Where it's uh, going on, it introduces Nick Fury and like the little yellow boxes or whatever, and he's like, he's been trained and every weapon on Earth or something like that, and then it's like, and he's come here, and it switches over to the next page to use the TV remote. <laughs> oh, I remember that. They, yeah, it was this huge elaborate thing explaining how awesome Nick Fury is, and then he's just literally there to use the TV. Yeah, uh, the TV remote. I. That was good stuff. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that. That probably is the best thing about this issue now that I'm thinking about it. Because I, I remember it. <laughs> yes. I love Nick Fury. <laughs> Can't get enough of him. But, what else? Uh, I'm not completely sold on Wolfsbane yet, but I feel like if I read her maybe in something better, I would like her a little more. She was probably my favorite of the X Factor people um, that we saw here. So- but she had the, the way she talks. Like I understand she she's Irish, right, or Scottish, something like that. She's she's yep. Banshee's kid, right? No, no, no. Because they called her Rain Siren. Well, yeah, they she so Rain uh, Wolfsbane. It's Rain Sinclair. Um, Banshee's kid is Siren, uh, which I don't remember seeing her in this one. Mm, I think okay. she might be an X Force, um, but yeah, Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane. She has a very interesting story. She's um, very, very religious, uh, <laughs> heavily steeped in Christianity, and like she was raised to believe. I don't remember if she was raised to believe it or she started believing it. I think it was raised to believe that her mutation was. Uh, almost demonic in nature and that it was her own fault, like some type of sin that brought it upon her. So she was very ashamed of being a mutant and using her mutant abilities for a long time. Um, and she still struggled with like reconcil- reconciling being a mutant and her religion uh, from the, the way in which it was depicted in her upbringing. So there's some really interesting and very heavy stuff in Rain's story and, and background but it's not always handled with care and delicacy, and sometimes she just comes off insanely whining. Gotcha. That sounds like a really good backstory. Now I kind of want to read that. Yeah, I highly recommend reading 
um, the New Mutants run from Chris Claremont and uh, Sienkiewicz. Mm, um, okay. Like she's uh, she's in that uh, Cannonballs in that um, Danny Moonstar, some um, Ileana Rasputin, some of the some of the more so like more obscure for like popular X Men fandom. So like you know people who are kind of only into it from the TV show or from the movies, mm-hmm. they don't know who these characters are. People who are into the comics really do because they're excellent characters and there's some really good stuff out there. And the Demon Bear storyline. In New Mutants, it's about I think it's three issues long, and uh, it's I think it focuses on Danny Moonstar uh, with the other ones, but it has a very very horror vibe to it, um, and it's phenomenal. Like it's one of the the best things I've read, um, in in Marvel comics. Sweet, sounds right up my alley. But yeah, no, uh, she has. Uh, besides the Nick Fury thing, my favorite part of this is when she says, "Dear Lord, tis with Legion." <laughs> See, the things that you find to like about people uh, never never cease to amaze me. Uh, um, I just, like I really just, enjoy a teenager who uses the word tiz on a regular basis. I can't get past that. <laughs> I mean, she, she reads from the King James Bible. Um, not <laughs> oh. the new King James, right? Like, it's like the old King James version, you know, from like way back. That's what she reads from. Uh-huh. That makes so Didn't much more you sense. you know that. <laughs> All right, does that fulfill your notes on uh, X-Factor 108 and 109? It sure does. Perfect. So let's go into the one that was probably the best. Um, For sure. And by probably, I mean like it's it's pretty simple. Uncanny 319 is, is the best of the bunch that we read. Um, so in this one, there's a lot of different things going on relationship-wise. Bobby returns to his home. Uh, he takes Rogue with him. Uh, his dad and he have a very troubled relationship and it comes through. We also see some interaction between Charles and Magneto. So ever since uh, Charles kind of turned Magneto into a vegetable in X-Men 25, we've had these random moments like this where Magneto has been popping up in his head and they've been having conversations. And I've really loved the dialogue in every single one of these that have happened. No difference here. And then Archangel and Psylocke kind of go on a date and Warren more or less takes it Jubilee's advice and really goes all in with Psylocke on this. So those are like the three big relationship heavy things that happen in this one. Did you have one that you particularly uh, were more invested in or enjoyed more? Uh, I probably enjoyed the Rogue Bobby one the most, but I loved all three of these. More than maybe I even would have expected to have liked, especially the Warren Psylocke, because before I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But uh, but we can talk about Bobby and Rogue first, because that's the best one. Yep, let's go there. So tell me your thoughts on that one. Uh, well, at first, I wasn't sure if Bobby was trying to like win Rogue away from Gambit, because that's how it felt at first. But it uh, it definitely morphed into more of a you know a friendship, maybe even like a sibling type thing. I really, really enjoyed this. I thought the whole conflict with Bobby and his dad was beautifully written, just sort of his uh, his doubts, and then going in and seeing what a bigot his dad is and realizing that's maybe not something he ever fully noticed until now. Um, I can identify with some of that. So a lot of this hit home for me. Whoa, hit home? <laughs> uh, not like my direct parents, but other m- members of the family that uh, may... Or 
may not be more racist than I realized as a child and then got older and realized, oh, okay, that sucks. Wow. Um, Okay. Well, first, I'm glad it's not, you know, from your direct home (laughs) because that would be really awkward considering that I'm friends with your dad. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, he's he's cool as far as I've I've seen. Yeah. Now you're being like, you're really skirting the issue because dad texted me about listening to the podcast. So now you're like, my dad's great. Brian, can you delete all the old episodes? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This this uh, is not good. (laughs) Yeah. You've, you've never said anything negative about your dad. He's a great dude. Just, yeah, he is. But yeah, I, this was really compelling to me and it was interesting actually reading it. So what uh, what kind of happens in the future? Um, Bobby comes out uh, as gay in Brian mm-hmm. Michael Bendis's run, and it's a weird way in which it happens. So I won't get into the details of it, but needless to say, there was a lot of like um, controversy around that decision uh, because you know Bobby had had these relationships with women in the past, but. Uh, and some people felt like they were coming out of nowhere turning Iceman gay. But there's actually a lot of stuff that was going on back then that was pointing to him being, you know, uh, being gay. And this was something that I saw pointed out relatively recently um, on Twitter or Instagram or Reddit or somewhere. Uh, someone made a post from this this issue. And I remember reading it thinking, I can't wait to get to that point in the podcast because I want to actually see it in full context. And I, I refuse to go and read old these old comics before we're ready to record them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was glad to get there and see it in context and actually see there's a lot of insinuation here in that um, because he's brought Rogue home um, and it's almost given this illusion to his dad that he's bringing home a girlfriend, but Bobby's not really trying to do that. He's just trying to win his dad over and that none of the women that he's ever dated is really, um, won his dad over or none of the relationships. And it's almost like his dad knows there's something about him, um, and that in these relationships and not that he, I, and by no means am I saying he's wanting his son to be that way. I'm just saying that there's something that he knows about his son that's bothering him and it's never going to get fixed in his eyes. And so he's angry about everyone that he's with because it's, it's not that he's with a woman. It, it's that, um, how do I want to say this? It's not that he's with a woman. It's that he knows that his son wants to be with men instead. And he doesn't like that about him. And so now he's really taking it out on him. Um, and on top of that, him also being a mutant and him having issues with that. So I don't know that I may be reading way into this, but I've seen this and some of the other 90s stuff as reference from Marvel creative staff saying like, dude, the Bendis thing was nowhere near out of left field. It was actually kind of all hinted at all along. Yeah, I can agree with most of that. I, you had mentioned in a previous episode where I first met Bobby, that he had come out as gay later on. And I went into that uh, with that lens reading into these. So I was a little shocked at first when he started bad mouthing Gamma. I'm like, wait, are you trying to get in on this? I thought you didn't like girls, but then it took a turn that I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this is definitely undertones of, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like girls or at least rogue in this case. Um, I didn't so much read that his dad is freaking out about this because he knows or suspects that Bobby is gay. I read it more as just a true, like, 
racism because he even goes in like yeah you used to bring home italian girls and chinese girls and why can't you just bring in a normal girl like i think that's an exact quote yeah him bringing home girls it doesn't mean that he hasn't been gay through the whole run that's that's a normal thing to do when you are an in the closet teenage boy it is yeah and and so i guess what we're just seeing is and it's clear he is just a bigot overall um, because Opal was, I think, I think she's Asian and he didn't like her because of that. And he doesn't like rogue cause she's a mutant. And yes, it's this, it's this whole thing. Uh, and I feel terrible for Bobby having to deal with this because he goes into it with this mindset that he's just trying to win his dad over. Um, and that his dad is this great person. But then as this experience happens with rogue, he, he kind of realizes otherwise. And I love how rogue handles it, um, with telling him, you know, like, it's okay to have an imagination. That's, you know, how we achieve dreams more or less is what she says. Um, and then I, I actually thought it was the end of the issue. I don't know if it had that fake out to you, but seeing the little sand castle that they made together with an X flag in it, I was like, oh, the issue's over and expected it to be over when I flipped the page. And it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I had that same feeling. Um, but before we move on right. from the storyline... I, Rogue isn't the only one who had a nice little button. I I really liked the conversation they had with Gambit because once I realized he wasn't trying to get in Rogue's pants um, and was actually concerned that, you know, Rogue is more deserving of someone better than Gambit, essentially. Um, I really liked the part where he's, like, laying all this stuff out about how Gambit's, like, not a good guy. And then Rogue's like, oh, my God, I'm such a fool. And he says, oh, what does he say? Um, oh yeah, she's like, I'm so pathetic for liking this guy. And he says, there's nothing pathetic about wanting to be loved, Rogue. And she's like, oh, that was almost, um, oh crap, what'd she say? She's like, oh, that was almost smart or something like that. Uh, but they Uh, both had- Profound. Profound, that's right. That was almost profound, Bobby. But they both had, uh, beautiful little moments where they were able to help each other through whatever the other one was going through. Yeah, and they're having this conversation in uh, the car outside of his parents' house, and then his dad comes out flashing the lights, like, getting on them, saying they were making out in the in the car in the front, like, oh, you're late, you're three hours late because you've been out here making out for three hours. Like, well, see, really, he, he says they're three hours late, and then a couple minutes later, he says, you were an hour late. So was it three hours? Was it an hour? Is he being exaggerating? <laughs> so maybe, so, okay, so maybe this is the case with him. Um my grandfather used to say, if you're not 30 minutes early, you're late. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe they were really only an hour late, but to him, if you're not two hours early, you're late. So then it equals out to three hours. Yeah. That, maybe. yeah. No, I maybe. think it was just a, an issue, <laughs> like a, I'm reaching, I'm trying to justify it, but because everything else in this is pretty golden um, as far as the, the dialogue yeah. Oh no, I don't think it was a mistake in writing. I think it's literally this is a guy who exaggerates this is a guy who exaggerates things to make it more of a deal than it actually is. So, they may oh, have actually I'll, only I'll been an hour late. Like yeah. Yeah. But I also yeah. really like the part I, I mean No, what? No, I was just going to say I mean, I round up all the time and my family hates it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty bad about that too. So, I guess I can't blame them too much. Yeah, 
See, I, that's the one thing I can relate with on this guy. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's stop those comparisons right there. Um, but speaking of comparisons, I do really like the bit of dialogue where they echo each other, where um, Bobby gets some sort of grief from his dad and is like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." And then literally the next line from the dad is, "Oh, this is going to be fun," and it just kind of illustrates. You know, we we all pick up a lot of stuff from our parents, whether we like it or not. Hopefully it's not the uh, the less than desirable things, but we can't help but reflect our parents and some of our little quirks. Yeah, you pick up their little quirks and you can anticipate what they're going to say, like when they're having their argument at the table and um, they, like the dad is ranting and raving at him and then Bobby... Uh, word for word says the exact same thing as you know and expecting his dad to say about it being a sideshow turning the house into a sideshow and they won't have it i thought that was a cool touch Mm -hmm. the way that they indicated that bobby was just like saying the same thing in the middle of that argument because i've seen that i think everyone has seen that where you're having a heated argument with someone you're close to and you know exactly what they're about to say so you say it right back to them like i know what you're going to say it's wrong um yeah yeah um so, what other thoughts on this before we talk about either Archangel and Psylocke or Magneto and Charles? Um, I think that's all I had for the Rogue and Bobby. Wait, hold on. What's this? Oh, um, just my last little note on here was I think the Rogue and Bobby story arc might be my favorite X-Men story arc so far. I just, I identified with both of the characters throughout various points of my life and I really enjoyed this story. Holy crap, because you've had some high praise for these X-Men stories. Um, so for you to call that one the, the one you've enjoyed the most. Yeah, just it kind of it came out of nowhere. And I just, yeah, I really liked it. I thought the writing was spot on throughout the whole thing. So, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that you're reading this and you're like, I kind of get why Brian loves the X-Men so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you moved me to this one versus some of the others that I've read. The writing is uh, definitely superior versus some of the other stuff we've covered. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be real here. Like, okay, you started out as like the Spider-Man guru, right? You were on the mm-hmm. Spider-Man shows. Yeah. And those, those had some pretty rough times. So like, you got to be feeling like this is a step up, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> So the next one we're going to talk about is Archangel and Psylocke because the Xavier one and Magneto one actually ends on a cliffhanger, whereas this one doesn't. Even though it's important going forward, it's more important for the relationship, not for the X-Men stories. So Archangel and Psylocke are on a date again, and um, they have some very, very, I think, beautiful dialogue in this. Um, and I think the way that they kind of handle their relationship speaks volumes to... I think kind of the maturity that they're both feeling in the moment. Um, But that could be just me making stuff up right now as I'm thinking through it. No, I 100% agree. Uh, At this point in time, Warren and Psylocke are the healthiest couple in the X-Men universe. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're not the wholesome Gene and Cyclops, but they're a very believable couple. Yeah, I love the, I don't have it written down anywhere, but I love the entire dialogue they have on that, like, water tower or whatever, where they're like, what do you mean? We're not gonna insert needless drama into this and run off and say we can't be together and then come back and I'll tell you I'm the clone of your uncle. And (laughs) they're just like, no, we're just gonna be adults about this. (laughs) 
yeah, exactly. Like, because she's like, aren't we obligated to whine and fret and come up with one reason or another why we shouldn't be together? Which is like digging at every freaking TV, movie, comic trope there is. And then Warren's like, yeah, of course. And I should reveal I'm your uncle's clone from an alternate <laughs> reality. And then, and you're supposed to die and come back at, to life a few dozen times. So. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I love that they're poking fun at comic books and, and other forms of media here. So mm-hmm. then he's just like, let's just cut to the chase. Let's just be radical and cut to the chase. And uh, yeah, and then it's just this awesome moment of them in the air. And um, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Yeah, it, it felt like something out of like a romance book. Just the, because uh, they're both like super rich in this, essentially. Like it's just a very highbrow ballroom they're both in beautiful like tux and gown she's singing on a piano that's how the whole thing starts so i think (laughs) uh a phase five movie for mcu should be some sort of like romance movie between these two it'll just be like the uh the 50 shades of the mcu Ooh, nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I I would be down with that. I I think there there needs to be a romantic movie in the MCU, right? And why not Archangel and Psylocke? I mean, he's the angel of death, and she's the ninja telepath that's in the wrong body. Exactly. So that fits. And she's got yeah. fantastic it's purple got hair. Nic- <laughs> it's it's yeah, she does. It's got Nicholas Sparks written all over it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. Anything else before we wrap? this uh issue up with magneto and xavier uh nope all my stuff is for xavier now cool so in this conversation with magneto and xavier that's happening in xavier's mind magneto proposes something wild to xavier uh where he says what if i wouldn't have been around do you don't you think your dream would have happened and that peace would have been better and or peace would have happened and everything would have been better. And Xavier kind of flips out at this idea because Xavier even admits earlier in the conversation that he's drawn a lot of his resilience from Magneto because he thought the person in his life with the most determined will was Magneto Uh, from everything that he saw with him. Magneto never gave up and always seemed to come back and fight and fight for what he believed in and Xavier was almost inspired by this. And so when he hears this, it's almost like Xavier saying, no, it wouldn't have happened because I wouldn't have had the same level of um, determination because I get my determination from seeing how determined you are. Um, That's the, that's the gist of the conversation. And I love it. I love every time we get to see these types of Magneto and Xavier uh, conversations. Same. Um, but Magneto is in Xavier's dreams a lot. Like, Xavier in love with Magneto because like, he is just the sounding board for him all the time when he's, you know, daydreaming or actually dreaming, just trying to come up with all these things. There just seems to be a, a big bond. And when Magneto, like you said, suggests, like, what if I was never in your life? Xavier freaks out. <laughs> it's just like... There's a there's some sort of codependence going on here that is just yeah. I think Xavier's cracking a little bit. Yeah, it's like what if you're in a um what if you're in a bad or toxic relationship and the person that you're with is like, "I think you'd be better off if we weren't even together." And then you're like, "No, no, no, don't say that." That's what it sounds like. That's exactly um, what's happening. But 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 it's in his head. Like it's not even it's not Magneto. It's him. It's 
Well, <laughs> see, here's the thing. Oh, wait, is it not? Xavier, like, it is, but Xavier ripped all of Magneto's, like, all, not all, but the majority of Magneto's memories, the things that made Magneto Magneto from his mind. So uh, I imagine that had to go somewhere. So it is partially in Xavier's mind. Oh. It's partially Magneto, but in Xavier's mind. Um, gotcha. So it almost okay. has this, like... So, like, Rogue, for a while, struggled with uh, Carol Danvers's mind inside of hers from when she absorbed Miss Marvel, uh, her powers. She actually, you know, Rogue absorbs their consciousness, right? So, in my eyes, I kind of view it similarly to that, where... Um, Xavier has some of Magneto's consciousness in him, and he's having these conversations because of that. But uh, yeah, that makes way more sense than how I was interpreting it. Yeah, or Magneto really is in like a vegetative state in a coma, more or less, and Xavier is telepathically communicating to him because he's like, "I'm really sorry that I put you in that state. Let's be friends on the astral plane." <laughs> Which could be, but we also what's what is cool in this one, we get uh, some dialogue between Magneto, that and Xavier that is actually quoted in the X Factor stuff. So, if, if you were only reading X Factor, you'd be like, "What are these random words and quotes that Legion is saying when he first wakes up from his coma, oh. uh, or somewhere around in there?" And they're the words from this conversation because he's been listening in, and we actually get a shot of Legion popping in during this. And it freaks Xavier out um, because when Xavier's going off on Magneto, like, no way, it's not true. If you were dead, the dream would totally not uh, happen anyway. And then Legion's like, no, that's where I think you're wrong, father. And then Xavier's like, oh, my God, it's David. (laughs) And then he wakes up. Um, Yeah, so clearly setting up some major, major stuff going on with Legion um, here. But okay. Any other thoughts on this one before we wrap it up with X-Men 39? Nope. Cool. So X-Men 39, we get Adam X uh, in this one. I think it's Adam X the Extreme or something like that. It was the 90s, guys. Okay. And uh, Cyclops' grandfather, Philip, has decided... I think that was his name, right? Uh, Yeah. This whole time I was trying to figure out who both of these dudes were. So, yeah, I've never heard of Adam Extreme or whatever. Yeah, he's some random obscure character that had some run. Um, Fabian Nicieza uh, created him, if I remember right, and he actually created him to be the third Summer's brother. So he's supposed to be the Summer's brother that's related to Cyclops and Havoc. And it kind of comes off pretty clear in this one that that's the intent, but it never materialized during his stint and no one else picked it up. And then later on, someone else was totally thrown in as the third Summer's brother. But... This one might be making a comeback because in House of X, there's a draw, like a sinister secret that says, you know, everyone knows about the two Summers brothers and some the third, but really there's more than that. Mm. So, um, so I think somebody's trying to resurrect this idea that Adam is related to them. But so Adam X is a space pirate kind of, right? Um, he's from space and for whatever reason, he is in near Alaska, I guess. And Philip, uh, who's Cyclops' grandfather, is older and uh, wanted to, to go out on one last flight. Uh, he used to be a pilot, and so he 
hijacks a plane, he takes off into the air, and then he crashes, and he's on the verge of death, and Adam saves him, and they kind of bond, and then Cyclops and Jean go up to see his grandpa, and uh, Jean has an excellent moment where she's able to take the memories, or the, yeah, the thoughts and memories from Adam, who shows up to check on the grandfather, and plant them inside of Philip's mind so that he can actually see the stars uh, from when Adam was traveling through space. So that's the story in a nutshell. To me, it was kind of cool seeing this idea of uh, Philip wanting one last flight because it kind of reminded me of when my grandfather, my papa, was older and he was a big hunter. Uh, like he loved to hunt, deer hunt. Um, like He just loved hunting. So when he got older, he had cancer, and so it really messed him up for a while going through chemo treatments and things like that, and he wasn't able to get out as much. But every now and then he would try and fight past it, and then he wanted like a four-wheeler so that he could carry it the, the deer back because he could no longer carry it himself because of, the like I said, the treatments. And I remember a conversation with him where he was talking about it, and um, he wanted the grizzly, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to me about it. He was like, man, I just I really don't know. Like, I don't see the point in spending money on this when I'm barely going to use it. And I just remember saying something to him along the lines of like, look, you really want this, right? And like, this will help you be able to do what you love to do. And like, you've done everything possible for your family. Go do this. Go buy it. It's fine. And then he did. So he got to use it a couple of times for this one last hunt, so to speak. So... In some ways, I was really invested in the Phillips stuff with this one last flight. But in other ways, I was kind of like, oh, geez, this is so random. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, through the, the very sweet story of your grandpa, it, it's a nicer story. But yeah, for me, it was just the dread of, oh, yeah, one day I'll probably lose my eyesight and not be able to do what I like to do. And <laughs> this is super random. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, way random and the thought of losing eyesight basically the thought of growing old is very scary in general because not being able to do the things that we have grown to do and love and what we consider being who we are is a very scary proposition yeah yep and glaucoma runs in my family so oh no and I'm already showing signs so Losing vision is always a very scary thought. Holy crap. So, yeah, that would uh, speak to you in ways that it would not speak to me. Yeah. So, but, you know, he got up there against uh, all rational thought and he did one last ride. (laughs) He was like, screw this. Uh, You know, he's like, my son's out in space being a space pirate. That's Corsair. And he's like... (laughs) And my grandson's down there getting married and like, you know, maybe having babies. Who knows? Because the kids from the future keep coming back and saying they're related to me. I don't know what's going on. So screw this. I'm going up for one last flight. And like, uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> that's more. Yeah, that's pretty much what he does. Yeah. Um, also, we I, need to point out that Adam is driving a she are plane or rocket or whatever the heck he's in but i got excited when i saw that it was shiar tech because i thought oh is he shiar shiar tech that still works now maybe he's half shiar who knows i know like i said he was 
written to be the third Summer's brother, so he was written to be Corsair's son from space, I guess. Uh, hence him flying around in space and no one knowing uh, that he exists on Earth. But I don't know who the mom would have would have been. Interesting. So it could have been a Shi'ar. Maybe. Maybe maybe it was Lalandra, and Xavier doesn't know, and Lalandra's <laughs> like, whoopsie. Maybe 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 you need to know about my past, Charles. Um, eh, you know. But long distance, yeah, yeah. You you don't always share everything when it's long distance. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Sounds like you're speaking from experience. No, actually, I'm not. I'm just making that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I believed that it was the truth. No. See, that's all that matters. Uh, okay. Anything else on this one before we get into ratings? Um, first off, who gossips over breakfast? No one should be gossiping before your first cup of coffee. That is way too much talking and thinking before you have that much caffeine in your body. I think I know some people who would, but <laughs> it's more or less that that's all they ever do. So Gossiping you know, is a dessert kind of, type of thing. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Uh. <laughs> Um, there's a random page in here where I guess Gambit's ex-wife is now coming for him. Is that something from like issues that I didn't read before this? Uh, I think it might be in Rogue. Oh, I think it's going on in the miniseries. I think gotcha. there's a little bubble or box, not bubble, uh, box at the bottom that says it's going on. For more on this, check out the Rogue series. I think, yeah, based on the covers of the Rogue issue, that's what I remember. Gotcha. And then there was one terrifying shot where it's the part right before he, like, cuts Philip's hands or whatever, but he pulls the knife out of this bag that is the same exact color as Philip's jeans, and it looks like he's about to, like, cut the crotch of Philip's jeans, and I'm like, oh, God, what's happening? Um, and then I just realized he was pulling um, it out of the bag. <laughs> you're like, this just went from PG to very not PG. What is going on? Yeah, this is some crazy body horror. But yeah, no, it was a very beautiful story, even though there's a part where they can magically see stars through the clouds that should be producing the snow. So other than that, it was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's comics. It's not always scientifically accurate. I mean, they're freaking mutants for crying out loud. So yeah, uh, no, no, it was. And, and that's the thing, like as random as it was, it was a well-written story in some ways. Um, I was like, I've never really remembered anything about Adam X, and, but I was actually interested in the story with him in this. Maybe Agreed. because I am Cyclops' fanboy and, <laughs> you know, we were seeing a story about his grandpa and I'm like, oh, his grandpa's cool. Awesome. You're still a Cyclops fanboy? <laughs> You got to read the modern stuff. I promise you it will change things. Okay. Promise you. Like, no doubt in my mind, if you were to read anything post uh, 21st century uh, or anything of the 21st century, you'd be like, okay, now I'm getting it. <laughs> All right. Oh. Even Travis was coming around. I got him to read uh, one of the more recent issues. And he was like, dude, that was amazing. I'm going to read more. And then he never read more. But he did say like his favorite stuff was the Cyclops stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's because Cyclops is freaking awesome. It's just not always in the 90s. Yeah. But yeah. Any other thoughts on this one before we rate everything? Nope, I'm good. I don't even know how to do the ratings for this because they're <laughs> all sort of loosely tied together, but they're not. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I don't so care how you do I it, but I'm wanna... just going to do it issue by issue. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was about to say we may be better off doing issue by issue and then X Factor together since that was actually together. Um, so let's see. Uncanny X Men 318. What do you got? Uh, remind me what our rating system is again. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Ratings are important for everybody else to know. Sorry. We record remotely now and it's super late and I'm really tired and old. Uh, ratings are like this one to three is ban. Four to seven is borrow. Eight to ten is buy. Gotcha. Um, I'd give this one a six, I guess. I didn't really connect with much of anything in this. I did love Beast talking to the teenagers and kind of helping them through their stuff in that. And I mean, Jubilee's fine. <laughs> She's got some weird fashion choices, but um, I probably won't ever reread this issue and I'm certainly not going to buy it. But it shouldn't be banned. Yeah, definitely not banned because it is important and sets things up. I actually rather enjoyed it, um, probably because every now and then I like to reminisce about my youth. No, <laughs> um, but I did enjoy it. I fell more in line with like a seven on it. Uh, I just found it very entertaining and uh, felt like it set up things pretty well for the future with uh, Generation X and got me interested in reading Generation X. Okay, so um, X-Men 38. Do you remember this one? This is the one that yeah. had a bunch of random people all throughout. Yeah, I'm probably going to... What's the cutoff? Seven is the end of the scale for not buying. I'll say a, a seven, yes. even though it's uh, apparently a cop-out to write anything a seven. But <laughs> Yeah, um, it is. That's, that's what I've heard. But whatever. Yeah, I'm, I won't buy it, but I'd say it's towards the top of the things that I'm not going to buy just for... Sabretooth looking like Mad Max and having some fun stuff in here with Beast talking uh, nice to Bobby and stuff like that. What's funny is we flipped because I'm giving this one a six. So I like that. Oh. You know, there's a little variety here. Uh, there's some good stuff in it. The Like I was talking earlier, the shot of Gambit over top of Sabretooth with his staff. That sounds way worse than it is, I promise. Um, <laughs> it is a beautiful shot. That is probably one of the reasons why I fell in love with Qbert way back in the day, but uh, it is one of my favorites uh, for that very reason. So uh, overall, though, I give it a six. So X Factor one hundred eight to one hundred nine. Eh, like a five. I didn't care about these at all, and I was disappointed five by Legion. <laughs> five is perfect um, because, in hindsight, it's better than the four that I gave for an Avengers issue lately, but it's not much better. So. Five is perfect on that one for me, too. It's I'm not going to remember much about this at all. Um, okay, so Uncanny X-Men 319. Mm, nine and a half. <laughs> um, Holy I really, crap-a-rolla. I really liked this one. I identified with many parts of it. I loved all of the Rogue Bobby stuff. I thought the Warren Psylocke stuff was cute. Not really a big like romance storyline person, but I thought they had some good meta stuff in there that made it worth reading. And um, there's, I think there's a little bit of Legion stuff in here that I was just kind of like, yeah, this is weird. I I don't really get what's going on with this, but uh, yeah, no, I really liked it. I will probably uh, buy this uh, one if I can find it. Whoa. That's high praise. That's high praise. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout. I go to my local comic shop on Wednesdays for new comic books that normally I used to buy on Thursdays because I could wait, but now House of X has me all like, I can't wait. Um, so nice. I will be there tomorrow. I'll actually look for it. I own a copy, awesome. but I actually, 
I might own two. I'll check. I might actually have two of this. Nice. No, I was just at the Cincinnati Comic Expo, and I had my little list of all the things that um, from this podcast I had said I wanted to buy. So I was searching through a bunch of long boxes, very poorly organized long boxes, (laughs) to try to find these issues. Uh, I did find. did find the last issue of savage genesis for six dollars because the guy didn't realize that it was in the six dollar bin (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's uh so i'm glad you got to go to cincy comic expo jake was there and austin was there briefly Uh, yeah jake was there a lot though i didn't Um, run into either of them although jake was dressed as joker so i probably ran into him multiple times just didn't realize it was him probably probably and you were probably ashamed it's like dude we're on a marvel podcast and you're dressing up like the joker um no yeah but uh, uh 319 i will give 319 an 8.5 uh, i thought it was great well written um beautiful stuff between magneto and xavier beautiful stuff between archangel and psylocke and beautiful stuff between bobby and rogue uh really really good stuff i love that x-men could have an engaging engrossing or an engaging issue like this without needing action. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks volumes to the writers uh, that were, were on the team back then, Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza. Um So let's see, final issue, X-Men 39. Uh, I'll give this one a seven. Um, I thought the story of Philip and Adam was well-written and um, pretty impactful or whatever, but overall it didn't grab me enough to make me want to buy it someday. Fair. Uh, I'm torn between a six and a seven, so I'll say six and a half um, for the sake of making it simple. Um, I did enjoy a lot of the Philip and Adam stuff, but it wasn't necessarily something that I'm going to remember in a year from now. I hope I do, but I don't know that I will. So... All right, uh, that's going to do it for our conversation on, um, was it Promised Vengeance or something like that is the name of this episode, right? Yeah, Promised Vengeance. Um, for a full list of upcoming episodes, please visit marvelmythos.com backslash upcoming. Next week, we've got Spider-Man Players and Pawns. We're going to be talking Spectacular Spider-Man 222, Web of Spider-Man 123, and Amazing Spider-Man 400. And Liz, one last time, What's the name of your new podcast and where can they find that on social media? My new podcast is Scooby-Doo and Sister 2. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scooby Sisters. Yeah, definitely go give us a listen. Um, if you can't find us an Apple podcast, it, we haven't been approved yet. Hopefully we are by the time that this uh, launches. But if you can't find us there, we are definitely on Spotify. Uh-oh. Uh, I hope it yeah. happens before Friday because <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts any other way. I know, I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> That's okay, it's okay. If one of the the um, podcast apps is late, it's no big deal. You've got it on everything. I've seen your post. It's on everything, guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that's going to do it, and we'll see you next time. All right, so we'll talk Archangel and Psylocke because that one does not have ramifications going forward as far as the main storyline goes. Um, it's not the, you know, the, um, what's the word? Oh, crap. Uh, whatever. I can't think of the word. So have fun with this one, Austin. <laughs> oh, my God. What is the word? When a show ends with a, like a, tw- not a twist. A cliffhanger? But like, what do you? 
That's the freaking word. It's late. I'm old. Forgive me. Old. Oh, I had a God. lot happen the last couple of days. Okay. My wife's car broke, like the starter broke on it. So we were oh, without no. her car. That happened on Sunday night. Then yesterday I got in a really like terrifying car accident where I thought that it was just bad anyway. But fortunately we were able to get out of it safely without hurting anybody or hitting anyone else's car. And, but ran into a fire hydrant on the back of the car. So uh. I don't have my car either. So we're out of a car and I'm like, you know, it's just been, it's, it's been a whirlwind of a few days. Okay. All right. Yikes. So like, forgive me for forgetting the word. <laughs> so, so that's a long way of saying, um, Austin, you can start it back here. Uh, 